0: Hello, and welcome to Bulak. I'm Ursula Lindsay, and with me is my co-host, Marsha links Quayle. We're coming to you from Rabat, Morocco, and Amman, Jordan, where we are produced by the wonderful podcast network, South. Today's
1: episode is going to focus on Iraqi literature. This month was the 20th anniversary of the disastrous U.S. invasion and occupation of Iraq, and a lot has been written about in the U.S. media about it, taking stock of how disastrous the situation there is or amazingly still offering justifications. We thought we would focus instead on Iraq's and Iraqis' own accounts of the last few decades. But before
0: we get started, we wanted to take a few minutes of your time to ask for your support. We started Bulac in 2017. We've read, I think, literally hundreds of books and had dozens of writers and translators as guests. But Bulac is completely independent with no support from grants or foundations. We've always wanted it to be freely available to everyone, not limited to subscribers. And we're both freelancers ourselves. I'm a reporter and a critic, and Marsha is the founding editor of the literary co-op Arab Lit, Arab Lit Quarterly, and Arab Lit Books. And she's an editor, critic, and occasional translator.
1: Bulak is a labor of love, but it's also a fair amount of work it'll be hard for us to keep it going without your help. There are several ways you can support us. One, if you're a listener, you can rate, share, and recommend the show, spreading the word and helping us reach a bigger audience. And please do subscribe to the podcast on one of the many platforms it's available on. You can also follow us on Twitter and now on Instagram at blog.books. Two, if you're a publisher or a literary organization, you can buy ads on the show or sponsor an episode. Contact us at blog.soat.com. And three, anyone can make a donation to our 2023 fundraiser. If you've enjoyed the show, if you've discovered things here, if you found it useful and if you want to help keep it going, you can make a donation at donorbox.org/support-blog. You can make a one-time donation or you can sign up for a recurring donation in any amount you'd like. We have some wonderful episodes coming up including a look at the Libyan writer Ibrahim Al-Kuni and an interview with translator Sabad Hussein about writing she's translated from Yemen. Eritrea
0: and Sudan. If just about a third of our listeners make a $10 donation, we will basically meet our goal for the year. This will help us with production costs, equipment costs, and all the time we've put into this, and allow us to get to our 100th episode and beyond. You will also receive a free ebook of Samira Azam's short story collection Out of Time, translated by Rania Abdurrahman. I know it's an extra step to go to a website and find the link and make the donation, um, but it doesn't take long and it would really make a difference. And we really appreciate your support. And now on to the show. Have you been thinking back to 20 years ago in the last month? Absolutely. I've been thinking a lot
1: about um, not just myself and and what i was doing and thinking at the time and uh how horrible and inevitable everything felt like like watching this long car crash happen um but but the people that i read then and then going back and and revisiting some of um this sort of um horrible often racist justifications for and and sometimes just frankly stupid justifications for the for the invasion.
0: Yeah, I was um I moved to Cairo the in the build up to the invasion. So that's I mean, I think it would have I think it's a turning point in in our lives and as as Americans uh in one's politics uh no matter what. But then for me it was also uh like the moment when I moved into the Arab world and saw and so it really saw it more from from this side uh I've tried to avoid like revisiting all the I I really don't have words except expletives (laughs) to like refer to them all the people who cheered the war on you know um I have Mm. I, I have read a few like interesting uh everybody took that has taken the opportunity to like circulate articles about Iraq and some of them interesting about things that are going on there now and sort of you know uh the the challenges uh today i mean they've had sort of continuous protests in Iraq for multiple years now and and violent crackdowns on them you know uh, partly over the 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 completely dysfunctional state that has emerged in the aftermath of that invasion um but uh but we are going to talk about not American punditry and commentary, which frankly can be left <laughs> largely aside. We're going to talk about Iraqi literature instead.
1: Yes. And so there have been a few, I think, notable books that have been released around the 20 year anniversary by Iraqis, which to me form a, a strong contrast to to the 10 year anniversary when a, a number, there a lot of organizations I I particularly remember the ones at the New York Times, Washington Post, and New Yorker, um, but there were many other sort of these listicles uh, and and new releases of books uh, ten years after the invasion and occupation that were almost exclusively by U.S. soldiers and and journalists and and the the books by U.S. soldiers, of course, um, many of them were funded. Through programs uh, that run by the Department of Defense, which was sort of, of course, very interested in having this narrative, the this, the U.S. soldier narrative, be flooding out with so many books, and and some of these books won prizes, et cetera. But they, if if you look at this, a reading list of the modern war stories, um, ten years of the Iraq War, ten great books. Um, the Home Fires by George Packer list in the New Yorker ten must read books. Um, you know many of these lists; they're all books by they're almost all books by Americans. Um, what's different now is that there have been a number of books out. Uh, one of the books we're going to talk about today is not out until May, but um, there's an a, a really strong book out this month, A Stranger in Your Own City, by um Ghaith Abdul Abdullah. And there's a book by Falih Hassan, War and Me, which is translated, I believe, by William Hutchins, uh, and and then Shalash the Iraqi, And also this book of trivialities, which actually just came in the mail to me this morning, uh by Majin in uh translated by Kareem James Abu Zaid. And 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 these are particularly Reiz uh is a Sort of self conscious, Shaleesh is is a, is, a, is different, but particularly Reis is a self conscious sort of writing back to all all these narratives.
0: Um, and, so he was and, a and fixer, so, right? In Iran, he, I mean, he became. Right, a he fixer. started out,
1: So he was. He was. Uh, it, it, it's his story. So he it, um, he was an architect, apparently, um, you know, and he put a lot of effort into attempting to obtain some kind of visa to get abroad somehow in the late 90s particularly he describes 6 months in 1999 of just waiting for for the moment that he he would be able to go but he never does so he's still in at Auk in 2003 and he just describes a, a, you know his english must have been quite good and he describes ta- um running into a uk journalist for the guardian and i can't remember his name anymore but just you know, by happenstance, and and then became his. And the guy was like, "Hey, do you want to? You can you be my translator slash fixer?" And and so he. That's how he happened into this career.
0: Yeah, and I believe actually now people more often in these jobs are referred to as news assistant fixer is kind of the old school term. It's what we used to say when I started out, and um, I think some people find it um, maybe a little. I don't know, derogatory is too strong, but there's a reason that they switched to news assistant, um, you know, to, to, to sort of try to describe more, how much actually reporting often, how much of the reporting job is done by these people who fulfill this function of arranging interviews, translating interviews, and often giving the foreign reporter an enormous amount of context for, for everything that they're seeing and doing and everyone that they're meeting, um, right i
1: don't think he remained long as a translator slash assistant i think you know it was pretty quickly that he was he became a stringer and uh, a freelancer and that he was submitting his own photography and, and then stories to uh to magazines newspapers around the
0: world so this book is is um, a memoir sort of of his
1: yeah this it's This book is a little bit so. I think it's an absolute must read, and it is the most illuminating nonfiction work I have read about um, it all post two thousand three. But it's a little bit of um, a mixed bag of genres. So it starts out as more of a memoir, and uh, and there's kind of a dark humor to it. He's reflecting on himself and and his relationship to these sort of new parachute junior journalists who've come in and his descriptions of them are pretty hilarious. And then he has, you know, very kind of tender, dark humor descriptions in the beginning of these moments of, uh, uh in 2003, I imagine he must have kept a journal because there's, you know, some wonderful detail and just, uh, there's so many wonderful moments in the Early part of the book, um, not wonderful things happening, but so wonderfully described. The you know, it's the banal moments that really I think uh, um, are the most illuminating. Just like uh, his, you know, trying to him as a journalist trying to go back around and you know find his friends from from high school, it, not knowing not remembering, not ever know, having known at the time whether they were Sunni or Shia, and now suddenly this being such an important marker of, of who the person is and, and what they're doing with their life. Uh, but just like this moment that really struck me, uh, and I, I'm not even sure why, is a, uh, um, one of the guys is standing. He describes standing. He's, he sees this car, which is like the car of his dreams, He's, he's staring at it. He's just gazing at it in admiration. I can't remember what kind of car it was. but And then suddenly right in front of him, it blows up. And he just starts like laughing, you know, like this bitter, dark, hopeless laughter. And it's just such a like um, banal, terrible, relatable moment in, in, in this life. So the beginning of, uh, is, is very much a memoir. You, you feel him in his presence, uh, as it, as it goes on, I think it becomes much more repertorial, for instance, then, you know, by the time we get to Mosul in 2014, uh, and he's describing events under Daesh, uh, it's it's much more. He he removes himself from the book at that point, and it becomes more fragmented. It it becomes much more like different pieces of news reporting put together. Um, and I'm not you know I I don't know if it's not necessarily I'm saying this is a criticism, but like it just becomes more fragmented. And also, I you know of course I found it progressively more and more difficult to read. Uh so you know such hopeless thing after 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 terrible terrible thing um it, it does end in the epilogue on the protests that began in in 2019 uh but i don't think you know it's not as not a moment of of hope either
0: yeah i mean those protests like protests elsewhere have been were were very brutally repressed and yeah, you know, although not completely repressed, like I think the potential for them to break out is is there, but they um, were not able, certainly, to because their demand, like elsewhere, was a complete overhaul of this like corrupt, sectarian system, um, and uh, that's 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 trying to change the whole system. I mean, that's a that's a huge right. Right. Demands. Well, you know, very
1: much very much like Lebanon, the you know, this sectarianism became baked into the system. You know, the Americans came and they were like, Oh, we know how to do this. One
0: Sunni, one Shia, one this, one that. And Yeah, no, I know, mean obviously. again, if we could we could get so sidetracked by <laughs> just talking for an hour about the spectacular ignorance and arrogance of of the people who went to quote unquote reshape this country. Um, um, but yeah. So that sounds like a real, a reference. Like if you wanted to get Absolutely. a good Absolutely. kind of reminder would... and overview of how, th- what, mm. what did I read an excerpt in the guardian and actually I was struck by it because it describes the, uh, the top, the famous toppling of Saddam's statue, right? Yes. Which like everyone I watched on television and but I think I had not quite realized the degree to which, you know, you watch things on TV and that becomes your memory of what happened. And he is very good at making clear how much this was a staged American led event and how small the crowd was, in fact, where like really in my memory, because TV kind of imprints Uh, On your brain that way. I I thought of it as a bigger, more significant. So you know, even though I thought I knew what had happened at that time, this excerpt that I read kind of like opened up the scene into something different. Yes,
1: yeah, no, there. That's one of the pages I dog eared, and that was one of the things the early part of the book really did for me as a reader was take me back to these moments that I had read about or or seen video of, seen on television and change you know reposition me in the scene to see it from a, a broader view uh and yes generally speaking i think that this is like a really necessary important book and i would yeah recommend it as 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 a reference point i i would i would read it um alongside chalesh you know uh what we're going to talk about next um just it gives such a like a a context it really situates you in the country in a way that's not this parachute journalist way, in a way that really, you know, builds the country from the ground up that so that you can feel and see the things around you. It does, you know, it kind of, and, and the way it sort of crumbles, <laughs> the way it begins to fragment at the end is maybe sort of necessary. It's the form like
0: echoing. And then there's um there was another new book that you mentioned. I have not read uh this is Faliha Hassan's War and Me.
1: Right, which came out from Amazon Crossing, um, translated by William Hutchins. And and I also have only read snippets of it, but it is also sort of this um this now publishing is fine, you know, kind of coming out with, oh, what do Iraqis think about um this this war? But I you know, and I just think that there's been so l- relatively little. I have seen, you know, there was the excerpt in The Guardian, the piece in Lithub. I've seen some engagement with Ray's book.
0: Yes. I mean overall, I I mean I think both things, Muj, there has been there has been uh increased interest and availability in Iraqi writing. Um I would say going back to Frankenstein in Baghdad, um, that book that won the international prize for Arabic fiction in 2014. And then uh, when I've discussed Iraqi literature with people, that's like one of the only ones that English speaking uh, English speakers are sometimes aware of, uh, Mm. of like a modern, modern novel from Iraq. Um, Right. uh, This, this book that has this sort of grotesque premise of a, of a of a Frankenstein who is made up of the body parts of car bomb and terrorist attack victims and who, and this monster who sort of haunts the city, um, but uh,
1: I think I that, that Hassan Belayem is is also somebody who occasionally appears on the on the radar with his with his short stories as well, um, but but generally speaking, if you were to Google Iraqi war literature. It would still, by and large, be um, right. I mean, the yeah, birds, if you, Eric
0: Abrams. It would be for, if you Google it in English, yeah. If Presumably, you it in, English, in it,
1: it would. No, in Arabic, the, you don't get the yellow birds, and you, you don't get Arabic's American Soldier accounts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: no,
1: not at yeah. the top anyway.
0: So, so, War and Me is um, is um, is a novel. Like, what's the format?
1: It's a memoir.
0: It's a memoir, also. So, okay.
1: Yes. Uh, it's you know, it's it's her sort of working class memoir of uh, of sort of growing up in Najaf and um, and and how she experienced. So it's also interesting because so much of this literature that is available in translation not um, n- not representative of you know, Iraqi writing, but so much that is available in translation or or was written by soldiers is from a very male perspective. Um whereas you know hers is you know from a, from the the perspective of a young woman um growing up and coming of age in Iraq and and her relationship after the invasion to, to war. Or, so uh, from, uh, from childhood through the yeah through the invasion. Okay. Um So, you know, war and me being multiple wars, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's another unfortunate truth is that I think for the Americans, it was a much more finite event, both in terms of it being over in the public's awareness much sooner than it actually was, and in terms of not being aware that it had, you know, it had basically been one long continuous war for years before because the sanctions were a form of warfare um and a devastating Right. One. Right.
1: right. So you mean the um, Iran-Iraq war of the 80s and
0: then um
1: and then the I wasn't even yes, thinking of that.
0: I'm thinking yes, about the first yeah, US invasion and then yeah. the sanctions and then the the second US invasion. And you're right, before that the Iran-Iraq war. So yes, like it just uh um so much conflict. Um and uh, and then you said that you just got a book today delivered to you that's, that's also <laughs> new uh, Iraqi writing. I, I did, and I hadn't even remembered that I, that I asked the publisher
1: to send me a copy. Uh, I'm glad they, they remembered. <laughs> it's called The Book of Trivialities by Majid Mujad, translated by Kareem James Abu Zaid. And they are just these tiny poems, and they're rendered on facing page uh, Arabic and English, uh, that you know are many of them are just you know reflections on on life anywhere. Um, but I so I wanted to read just this one, which is poem number nine, that I think reflects on our conversation today. Some forgetting is malignant; it erases all sweetness from the final page, but keeps the bitterness of the opening lines. So I thought that was sort of um, important vis-à-vis not you know the forgetting ar- around this this conflict, um, particularly, you know, you know, yeah, the memory you know, sort of, of it so is fought of,
0: over. I mean, so right. much of the memory of it is where, where there's conflict. There's also conflict over memory, over narrative, um, over you know what becomes. Uh, Officially or openly remembered, hmm. right? Which is,
1: like, I'm sure, why the Department of Defense put so much e- energy into funding soldiers' own own narratives. I've never Do read a a single soldiers one. Narratives.
0: Yeah, not <laughs> and, that, and and, and then you know no, there
1: <laughs> there were hundreds and hundreds of them, and so many of them made awards shortlets and were reviewed in in the New York Times and elsewhere. Versus. You know, literature written by Iraqis generally received a much smaller reception. So, yes, although we maybe haven't engaged it, I think in in terms of its impact, it was pretty wide.
0: Mm. Um, and then there is a book that uh, I'm really excited to talk about, um, which is Shalash the Iraqi. Yes. Um, yes. So, so this book is translated by Luke Leaf, Leaf Green. It's coming out in May by And Other Stories. Um, and as it uh, as they explain in the introduction, it's a it's a collection of what were anonymous blog posts uh, that were published uh, to an increasing, uh, eventually huge readership in Iraq in two thousand five two thousand six. Um, and the, they describe the fact that actually people used to print these out and circulate them, uh, because, uh, the number of people that was online at the time was still not that high. Uh, so, um, the, the setting for the stories is, uh, Daura city or Sadr city more commonly known, I think under that name, uh, at least in the West, which is a, a, uh, a huge Shia suburb of uh, Baghdad uh, and called Sadr City because it was uh, associated with uh, the Shia cleric and political leader, Muqtada Sadr. Um, and maybe I'll read from the from the book where he describes this neighborhood, which is sort of the subject of the entire, of all of the stories in one way or another. Yes, please do. As you may or may not know, a block in Thaura City is a square residential division of a thousand homes. On the map, the 80 or so blocks that comprise Thaura City resemble each other like so many peas in a pod. So let me invite you as my guest, I thank you my guest, to take a closer look at ours. Our block has more philosophers than Athens ever had. Our bloc has more politicians than all the countries of the European Union. Our bloc has more radicals than the Irish Republican Army, more priests than the Vatican, and more gangs, petty thieves, and armed robbers than all the mafias of Italy. Our bloc has more civil society organizations than appeared in all of Iraq after the fall of the regime, more political parties than Latin America. And more noble and exalted descendants of the Prophet Muhammad than the actual number of people residing in said block. There are more tribal sheikhs living in our blo- on our block than there were sheikhs of Arabi before Islam and after. We have more journalists on our block than are employed by Reuters, and more poets than Mauritania. We have more tabla players than Atatürk's Turkish Republic, just as we have more singers on our block than all of Sister Egypt. Just one subdivision of our block contains more children than a whole province of China. Our block has more communists than Poland did before Perestroika, and our block contains an arsenal of small arms whose combined firepower more than matches that of the bombs dropped on Hiroshima. So it's a pretty extraordinary neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, there's definitely some. Um
1: over-the-top magical realist and fantastic elements in his humor. Uh, I first um, came across Shalash, I can't remember exactly what the year was, but uh, through Zina Falk, who ended up writing about him in her PhD dissertation. And she would send me these these blogs, which I found so hilarious. And one of the things she wanted to know was she told me her PhD supervisor didn't find them at all funny. And did I find them funny? And I thought, what does it matter with your PhD supervisor? Apologies if Zena's PhD supervisor listens to this, but come on, they're funny. Um, I do think that this is one of those books that you, the reader, have to travel to right? There there are many books that easily travel to you and you don't have to do kind of make any effort when you're reading them to imagine yourself in that world or to kind of turn your brain very slightly in order to see a different kind of sense of humor or see a different way of making humor than you maybe use in your general everyday life. So I do think this is a book where it requires some engagement investment from, from the reader. Um, I I think they could have formatted in a different way, just choosing the sort of the the easiest um, short, short pieces that kind of work as short stories. Uh, They didn't, they, they do it in a more chronological way, which I think is great. I, I think that all of this should be available. Uh, I, I just, and I love that it, you know, often the the literature that you get in translation is a very elite literature. It's literature that's only read by, say, you know, five hundred, you know, people like a writer and their their friends and the friends of their friends. Um, and and it just you know, it's not writing that has a wide impact in 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 the way that you know most sort of high literature doesn't. But but this is a literature that people read widely and were passionate about and laughed over and waited for the next installment. And, and I love that, that, that is available. Uh, often these kind of things like, you know, so much like um, the, what they call sarcastic literature is so popular in, in Egypt that doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily translate that well. You, you know, you do have to really travel yourself into somebody else's vision of the world to see what's funny.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing that struck me is at at first it became funnier to me, the more I read it. And so I wasn't sure if he actually um, like a lot of writers uh, got better and better himself, like got more and more uh, confident in his style and sort of daring and, you know, or if it was, I think it's a bit of both. It's that, it became funnier to me as I proceeded because there's, you sort you know, the characters, you know, the setting, there's a sort of, there's these repetitions, there's these riffs. Um, uh, I mean, I don't, I didn't find it su- super hard to understand like the context. Uh, but I did find it, I found I, I, it really hit its stride for me a ways in, in terms of the humor, in terms of, of, It really started to make me laugh out loud and of course I think the impact like I can imagine like reading these things online in the moment at the time you know that is the sort of optimum way probably of of consuming them right um yeah
1: I'm super jealous of the people who were waiting for the next installment (laughs) Right,
0: right right um but so yeah so they're they're sort of they're you know they are they are dated chronologically. they cover the span of time, and we have this character, Shalash, who is this sort of raconteur neighborhood you know um uh, chronicler of his neighborhood uh in these years in which uh you know the country is racked by Terrible violence, uh, you know, insurgency, uh, terrorist attacks, car bombs, assassinations, kidnappings, all of these things that are mostly happening a little bit out of the frame because he's focused so tightly on his community and his neighborhood. And at the same time in which this political process is picking up, like Iraq you know, there's the the Americans install a provisional government and then there's a constitution, there's the first elections and all these parties began competing and often competing on a sectarian basis for power. Um, And, you know, there are US backed, you know, former exiles coming back and there are uh, these Shia clerics who are hugely influential politically and sort of run parties and militias. And most of his i would say it seems to me like most of the um, sort of targets the immediate targets of the of the sarcasm and the criticism in the book are these are the local politicians and these figures of religious and political authority which explains why he wrote anonymously and to this day remains anonymous because he he really goes after these people you know for being opportunists and for being corrupt and for being bullies and down to the neighborhood and street level where all these people sort of suddenly start to act like more religious and like, you know, uh, uh, swear their loyalty to one group or another, because everybody's trying to sort of like figure out, you know, where the patronage is going to come from and how they're going to get ahead and how their life is going to work. But at the same time, the people in the neighborhood are described. So they're described in that way that families described where it's like, Really caustic, but also really affectionate. Somehow, Mm, and yes, uh, yes, yes. yes. And I think yeah, that's the the best
1: kind of. It's the best kind of humor, and that you—he's in the middle of it, right? So if he's making fun, he's making fun yes of his own sort of family and milieu from the
0: from the inside from the inside mm-hmm. and so it's like marriages and relationships and you know gossip and backbiting and who how did these people get this money and like look who's emigrating look who's you know it's events you know eventually it's you know campaign rallies and 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 things like that and um and it, and also these more surreals Sequence, like dream sequences and kind of fantasy sequences yeah. you know i love a little ones. boy who starts pissing oil i love that so one the private us- of Abu's oil is uh, one of my absolute yeah. favorites because although iraq is one of the most oil rich countries in the world nobody has enough fuel to like nobody even has enough electricity and so that you know he imagines this little boy who, who like Pisses literally, you know, petrol and people are lining up with their canisters. And it he just take he also takes it very far. Like the the writing is in this register that's always a bit it's always too much in a good way, you know? Um
1: Yeah. Well, and, yeah. Eventually people are fighting over this boy. <laughs> and
0: uh yeah. I found
1: the ending to be wonderful. I so not to spoil it, but yes, it really like goes super over the top.
0: And there's also one of my other favorites in that vein is like the, what starts out as a sort of minor competitive, you know, relationship between two women in the neighborhood. And at first they just like different singers and then they like different, uh, politicians and political parties and 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 it sort of escalates and escalates into this like epic feud in the neighborhood and then eventually the americans get involved like the cia is there giving like you know suitcases of dollars at night and u.s generals are visiting and it's just and and all of these are a page or two or maybe four at the most long like some of them are just really really great um uh comical vignettes and then some of them are very poignant and, 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 you know, suddenly, you know, there will be a sort of sincerity to it. Um, and when he talks about his childhood friends that he's lost touch with, that were yes, all kind of yeah. had their lives destroyed by the sanctions. Um, so. Uh, they're, they're yeah, all, and I, I
1: think there are also some sort of clever looks at language too. In the introduction um, he's referred to as kind of a polymath. There's very little information about him given because of course he wants to remain anonymous but um he's just referred to as a polymath and and I think he does have this kind of interest also like I'm thinking of Araldo Assyrian Brothers the one about the the sort of invasion of the word brothers to refer to people right. and
0: sisters
1: um and, and how when you refer to people insecure. as our brothers
0: our shia brothers our sunni brothers our Yazidi brothers like you actually i don't mean that like you people are saying right. this but it's this it's a bad sign it means something terrible is about to happen like it means you're like really on the outs yeah um that was very good yeah no too. it's a,
1: it's it's yeah it's great he said uh he's got a series of these interpretations. Our Kurdish brothers, I could swear he was actually saying the Labjum massacre was the least you deserved. And if I should hear a holier-than-thou Salafi Sunni say, I don't know, our Yazidi brothers, I'm sorry to report that I believe he's adding in his heart, God's curse upon you and that fallen angel you worship. And when I hear a Kurd with his right foot in Iraq and his left in the Kurdistan utopia say, our Arab kaket, I'm pretty sure he means those dirty backward Arabs. Uh, And when I hear someone from the Badr Brigade say our uh, Sadrish brothers, to me, it's as though he's saying those illiterate kids God is using to test us. And he goes on (laughs) and on in this really wonderful um, way and then moves on to our sisters and um, uh, both in a way that's funny and in a way that's an exploration of this change in, in the use of language.
0: In the use of language and in society, right? So he's also very sharp on right. television. Uh yes, comparing yes. the days Colin in which, like, hilarious. <laughs> te- remember how he says, "Like television was Saddam so when we were growing up. Like it was one and the same thing. If you swore at the television, you were actually swearing at yes. Saddam. So yes. Like, and yeah. and then and then now there's all these call-in shows, and every every political faction has their own TV program. People are listening to. So on the one hand, there's a kind of opening up because there there was i think access to other information and channels and so on and on the other hand there is seemingly like he's very resentful of the imposition of this like superficial religiosity and like you know shia identity uh that's that 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 the book portrays as having come in very quickly and very heavily um after the invasion as the country sort of reconstitute itself along these identity lines.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think it's, it's in a wonderful way, like each one of these little vignettes, like, um, the boy who pisses oil or, or this one about brothers opens up, uh, these other things. So you can see all these criticisms happening, uh, at the, on the edges of, of these, these pieces.
0: I love how he has so many of these scenes where something happens, everybody shows up, everybody comes, everybody puts in their (laughs) two cents, right? Right. Everybody. And and it's so like well registered, like the girl who's emigrating to get married and like the page and a half of like everybody in the neighborhood's like funny advice to her about like what to do and not do like as a, as a bride abroad. And then in those scenes, everybody always leaves and on the doorstep says the most Vicious, like opposite of what they just said, like they just start talking shit immediately <laughs> right. as soon as they've left the scene. Um, he right. gets those kind of reversals also very, very well. Um, right, but it really is done with, like you say, uh, a, fe- a feeling of like ownership and belonging and, and uh, you know, that that makes it, um, uh, I mean, that makes it funny because it's because it's not a looking down; it's a kind of looking around, uh, sometimes in despair. But um, you right, know. even the
1: most ridiculous, yeah, these sort of pages where you get different dialogue that you don't even know who's saying what, but just like you know, right, quotes from people in this crowd around you. Yeah, it's. Um, I I don't feel that anyone is being made fun of. It just well, yes. every lots of people are being made yeah. fun of. Well, yes,
0: okay, lots of people are being made fun of, but including himself, <laughs> you know, because he, he portrays yes, this yes, kind yes. of a sort of hapless, you know, cowardly, you know, um, uh, confused uh, observer. And then he creates this figure of this this sort of friend nemesis in the neighborhood. What's his name? Haj Hajar, Khanjar. who Khanjar, that da- da- dagger is who's like the you know the 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 clever opportunist and the busybody and uh you know the guy who's always like causing trouble and looking for the advantage for himself and he reoccurs again and again and again in the stories right
1: right i guess of course yes he's making fun of lots of people many people in power everybody in his neighborhood but it, it even when he punches up at people in power i it's it's not the same as he it is like our family, like making fun of your own dad, making fun of your own. Um,
0: you think, don't you don't think I, he's really genuinely angry. I think some of the scenes I, in which well, yes, people yes, talk yeah. to the sure. clerics and stuff. It's yes. I think those are the only people that he doesn't forgive the people in his neighborhood and all their shenanigans and their hypocrisies and their like short-term, you know, uh, you, schemes to survive that's all forgivable but you know there's there's that scene where before the elections he sort of stages uh someone coming to tell them all how to vote and how you know they this is their religious obligation and they owe it to the martyrs and all of this stuff and somebody like just rails at him for a page and a half you know right about how right. like it's our kids in the mass graves it's not your kids and suddenly it seems serious to me there I think right, that right that's the only part of the book that's angry you know at the the elites that have money and 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 were abroad for decades and then they came back and now they they want to own the state yes and yes
1: the people who sort of came on the coattails of Donald Brumstapheld as he as he describes it yes those people yeah uh, uh, um it, although you know th- there are many um depictions of u s soldiers and certainly there's no fondness there um but uh, there there's a f- wonderful absurdity i really like an ab uh, adopts an american soldier um yeah mr martin she pulls Mart- mr martin edwards into her home and um uh, and turns him into him an Iraqi. Basically, turns him into an Iraqi. I found
0: that one. Yeah, just so that's another ridiculous. one of, the sort of dream ones. Yeah, right. yeah. I I mean, the thing that struck me actually, and I've I'm about two thirds through, is um, how little the Americans I mentioned in like how little mm. um, like I think I've I'm on page, you know. Uh, 200 and something. And it's the first time or the second time that he's mentioned, you know, Rumsfeld or Cheney or any of these people, like what's striking is to have such a local Iraqi point of view that the Americans are far off in the distance doing whatever it is they're doing. And nobody's quite sure what, you know, what their plans are or what they want or you know, why aren't they making things better? Because that's what everybody kind of expected in the beginning. Um, but they're so like at the edge of the frame. Yeah, I think that's true of most most Iraqi literature. And I remember
1: there was some event that Hassan Blesem did, or maybe some interview where he was asked, why don't you write more about American soldiers? And I think his (laughs) response was something like, why don't you write about American soldiers? It's it's your business. I mean, they they do appear at the edges, like in this one about the boy pissing oil, um, you know he, the Americans get involved. International corporate interests come in to study the reserves hidden in Dabul's bladder. With Halliburton's report stating the quantities discovered reach approximately 112 billion barrels, including the probable reserves, Dabula holds claim to the to being the number one producer in the world. You know, so the Americans do come in to try and claim this little boy's bladder. I guess when there's a lot of money involved, then you find the Americans.
0: Right right um yeah anyway it's a very I had never you know heard of him at least not that I can remember um and uh and and that time period in which he was writing was exactly when I was discovering blogs and I think blogging myself I think it was around maybe it was a little bit before um and uh I wish I had read them at the time uh, I also think the translation is uh, re- reads very very well. It's very vivid. It's very fluid. It must have been a real challenge because I think this was written in very idiomatic uh, Iraqi dialect. Yeah. And uh, yes,
1: yes, yeah. I I think I think it's a challenge to translate for a number of reasons. You know, they, they say in the in the introduction or Kanan Malik. I can't remember who wrote the introduction, but. Uh, you know that the humor is not an easily movable feast uh, but I think he does a really good job of finding the finding the voices of the characters and um and using using the right funny words, you know like you know installing a precise little meter on his wee wee," which would then be put under rigorous twenty four hour protection by the American forces. You know I think wee wee" was the right word there. <laughs> Um, right in order to because I think language is so the 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 small linguistic choices are so important to whether or not something's funny
0: yeah absolutely um and there's an argument in the introduction of the book um there's a critic who's quoted as saying that that this kind of humorous or sarcastic writing is relatively rare in Arabic literature and I mean I kind of I understand what they're saying in the sense that, yes, there's a lot of sort of serious, high-minded, political, nationalistic, uh, you know, romantic, uh, um, you know, body of, of, of literature. But at the same time, I was sort of surprised by the assertion that, Th- that there's so little humorous writing because I'm I'm well, not sure. Okay, that I, that's, I, agree. it's not
1: it's not true. He's quoting Selma Jayusi, something she wrote in 1985, and not really having been coherent in 1985 or not having read any literature from you know whatever. I don't know what ni- being around in 1985 was like, but certainly being around now, there's lots of hilarious, over the top. Blogging type literature, sarcastic literature, this is this is a genre. It's a very powerful and big genre. Um, so I, I think that
0: that that quote is maybe out of date. And you wanted to talk about a couple other um, contemporary yeah, writers, I, right? Who,
1: right. So I just as I was reading, rereading. Um, these these short pieces by Shalesh. And then also, um, as A Stranger in Your City was kind of fragmenting at the end, I started to think about how much of the contemporary Iraqi literature is these short stories and sometimes short, short stories. Um, um, it, you know, like Diajubayli, Um And he did have a collection come out recently in translation by Chip Rosetti cold, maybe no windmills in Basra, um, Yasmine Hanoush, whose work, uh, we, we've translated um, a couple of her short stories for the magazine. And her short stories are also the kind of this combination of um, dark and surreal. I think uh, Diaz's work also is this combination of dark, surreal funny, reflective. And then Hassan Belezam's short stories also are this kind of fragmented short stories. Some of them end in this so abrupt and strange way. Uh, so I think um in some ways the, the short story really uh can comment on a lot or or you know whatever we call Shalash's work, the short something, <laughs> short texts, short posts. Um because of this kind of fragmentation of the world were um, the world and, and then, you know, then not needing to make this kind of large plotted picture that the novel does, but allows you to kind of get this very dense portrait of a, of a moment.
0: I mean, it seems like a natural response to the circumstances in the sense that to create the narrative arc of a novel you you usually need a certain amount if you're addressing you know historical events you need a certain amount of like distance and you need to have a sense of like how that narrative resolved so if you're really i'm thinking also about like during the arab spring like nobody could write about the arab spring during the arab spring like it was i think kind of impossible I, people wrote poetry and they wrote songs but you couldn't write a novel because you just didn't know how the story was going to end and right, there were some
1: uh, there were some really good short stories then too, though, just of like right. little moments and little snapshots and what they showed about that time.
0: Right, so you can sort of respond. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, but then some of the writers you're talking about are writing quite a few years on, but maybe if you're still trying to capture the sense um, of of a narrative that hasn't quite come together of a kind of splintering of reality. I mean, all, all of these, Mm. these things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they, and they also, a short story collection creates the kind of this, yeah, multivocal portrait that doesn't necessarily have like an arc or doesn't cohere around a singular thing, but rather is a whole bunch of different things that work together to create this picture.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm gonna take us out on something that's not new, um, but <laughs> on uh, an Iraqi poet that we both love. Um so when I we were thinking about this episode, I uh I thought about Sargon Bulos, who was uh, an Assyrian Iraqi poet. Um he was born in the little desert town called Al-Habaniya in 1944. Uh at the time there was a British military base there. And uh, then he moved to Kirkuk uh, where there were major oil fields had been discovered. Um, I I, I think that his father was, was a employee um, of the, you know, in the colonial administration in some capacity. Um, And um, so his first language was Assyrian and not, not Arabic. And, uh, but then he began writing poetry in Arabic and he famously uh, decided to go to Lebanon and crossed the desert on foot from uh, uh, travel on foot from Baghdad to Beirut, more or less. This is the legend: crossed the desert on foot, um, and in Beirut uh, began publishing with the famous uh, poetry magazine Al uh, Um and then eventually emigrated to San Francisco in the 1960s. Met all the beat poets. Um, was a translator of uh, you know dozens of major uh, English language poets into Arabic um, and wrote beautiful poetry himself. And uh, there's one book of his available in English that I know of. Uh, It's called The Knife Sharpener, um, after one of his poems. And um, he selected and translated the poems himself. They were written between 1991 and uh, 2007. And he put this book together as he was dying. Um, and, uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, so I'll just read, um, he has an introduction that he wrote himself. And at the very beginning, um, he says, he talks about his childhood and he says, Assyrian, Armenian, Turkoman, Kurdish, and Arab history were all intermingled and molded together like a huge tower of Babel. He's talking about when his, in his childhood. That is why, when I write my poetry in Arabic, which is 70% Assyrian, parentheses, Aramaic and Syriac, I feel I am intoning all these voices, for I believe that any given language contains all the memory traces of the communities that contributed to it. For a poet, nothing is lost. And I'm just going to read one poem. I mean, there's so many lovely things one can say about his poetry. I really just encourage people if they don't, you know, already know him to, to get this book. There's several of his poems are also available online. Um, uh, he, he wrote about Iraq all his life, but he also, because he travels has, you know, other references in his poems. He has historical references and geographical references that really sort of span the world. Um, and uh And the poetry is just very, very lovely and sharp and sad and wonderful. Um, So I'm going to read a poem called The Apaches. They say, the Apaches, who were exterminated to a last man, and nothing survives but their name, which is given to a deadly helicopter. After they had fasted for long, and hunger had drained their strength, when they heard the earth rumble under their feet, and knew that the buffaloes had come, mounted their horses without saddles and rushed eagerly toward the herd. Hardly a single warrior had enough strength left in his arm to draw his bow, yet somehow one managed to draw it to his breast and shot the buffalo in the heart. For the Apaches knew the great spirit when it called and invited them to battle. Likewise the poet, who is besieged by the cries of his tribe as he wanders among the bones and walks through the ruins of his city. He dreams of flying like an eagle over the heads of the slain and their slayers, hoping to catch a fabulous creature swift in its flight with his words and to plant the hook of his imagination into the flesh of his prey.